We are super excited about this episode. We're interviewing Tim Ferriss. And even more exciting, this is brought to you by Audible.com. SpartanUpPodcast.com. Uh, we are back here in the Pittsfield barn. We've probably been here for four hours. And you'd think, we, you'd think we'd get a lot done in four hours. Yeah. And um, It's raining. If you want to find out how much you get <laughs> done in four hours, four hours, the guy you want to talk to is Tim Ferriss. Indeed. He's written the four-hour work week, the four-hour body, the four-hour chef. It's a lot chef. done in four hours. It's a lot done in four hours. Joe doesn't right. talk to him for four hours, but in the Not half in the hour you talk to him, you find out some pretty amazing tips and tricks. Yeah, one of the things he taught me was um, never forget the people you're sitting to um, on the right or left. And so we've got Colonel Nye. Precisely. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> we've got Zephyr. Uh, yeah. We've got Johnny. Yeah. And we've got Joe and Marion on the camera. So that's um, one of the things you'll learn from Tim. Absolutely. But you, you know what? He really is um, an incredible guy, like some of the most profound um, process that he's going through. The, and I'd say on our behalf, like he's really a, a human guinea pig. So uh, let's go see what Tim Ferriss is up to. Let's do it. We are here in San Francisco, Noe Valley, right, for Spartan Up Podcast with Tim Ferriss. For those of you that don't know who Tim Ferriss is, he is the four-hour guy, four-hour body, right, four-hour work week, four-hour everything. Um, what don't you do in four hours? For better or for worse, four hours. Don't sleep for four hours. I like more than four hours of sleep. Was that a marketing thing? How did you, you come up with four hours? The four hours was a product of testing, so my whole life is a product of testing, but there was some contention around the title of the book. Initially, it was Drug Dealing for Fun and Profit, which Walmart didn't like, so therefore the publisher didn't like it. Yeah. And I took the top six to 12 titles and subtitles and actually just threw them into Google AdWords. So I created ads where the headline was the prospective title, the, the, the text, the body text, was the prospective subtitle, and then I just looked at the click-through rates. And the one that had the highest click-through rate was the four-hour work week. Nice. Funny enough, it was initially the one I wanted to test was the two-hour work week, and, the, and a few people at the publisher said, that's ridiculous. Nobody's going to believe the two-hour work week. And I was like, four? And they're like, okay. yeah." yeah. Remind, what, was, what was the, um, the skit, right? Five-minute abs, one-minute abs? Oh, yeah, yeah, six-minute abs. Yeah. Well, you'll be in trouble if someone comes out with seven-minute abs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. So, but you did, this, you did the work. Yeah. To determine that four hours, um, yeah, tested, tested well. I think that's the theme throughout everything that I do is sort of two to three week experiments and uh, always testing your assumptions. So you think something's going to work. The publisher says this is going to work because we have 120 years of combined experience. Like, great, let's test it. Right. And if you can't test it, if you can't measure it, I think it's very, very difficult to make outsized progress. I think that. Uh, just measuring gets you so far. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people don't do it. And it's kind of like Pareto's principle a little bit with like Definitely. 80, I think that's a big component for sure is looking at if you're if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel scattered, it's like all right, well, instead of making and other people have said this would say a millimeter of progress in a million directions, how do you how do you sit down? You can do this with a pad of paper and determine what are the the 20% of say products and services that are creating 80% of the revenue or the 20% of customers who are producing 80% plus of the revenue. And you can do the other way around too. Like so the, what are the 20% of accounts or people in my life who are creating 80% of the negative emotions that I want to eradicate. And eliminate them. Yeah, and then you put together your not-to-do list. So you can use it both ways. Do you have a big list guy? You pull out like a yellow pad? I am a big list guy. And uh, the, the, the problematic adjective there is big. So uh, I like to just get uh, a small piece of paper about that big or a small index card folded over so that I have a finite amount of space. And so I really try to narrow it down to 
one or two key things per day that I'm going to focus on. And usually my day is split. There's a great essay by Paul Graham who uh, founded Y Combinator. One, is the, one of the founders of Y Combinator, which is a really innovative, I guess you could call it venture incubator here in Silicon Valley. And uh, he wrote an essay called The Makers Versus the Manager's Schedule. And how if you're a maker, you have to block out three to four hour, say, periods of time that are uninterrupted. And uh, I try to make the first half of my day the creative uh, maker portion up until lunch. And then after that, I can do kind of the half hour calls, the hour long meetings and so on for, for management. And I find breaking it up that way is that's very, why, very That's why I can only get you in the afternoon. That's right. In the morning, you're being creative. Do you, <laughs> and grumpy. And grumpy. Do you, do you uh, the night before, do you plan out that next day or, or when you wake up? I try to do it the day before. And uh, I have a journaling practice. So I have a, uh, a journal. You can actually just buy this uh, on Amazon or anywhere else called the five minute journal. So I do uh, a few minutes in the morning uh, and then a few minutes at night uh, just before bed to review the day. So I spec out, say, the two or three uh, key objectives, the two or three key attributes that I want to exemplify for that day, whether it's I, you know one that I write down a lot is unrushed, just feeling unrushed. And uh, you can still be quick, but there's a difference between being quick and feeling rushed. And then doing a, sort of a post-game analysis each night. It only takes a couple of minutes. So I do that uh, pretty much every day. I'd say that's, that's definitely one of my rituals. So, so with me, I don't know if, if you find this, but um, whether I write, whether I write the, the notes down or not, there are things that I, don't, I need to tackle, yeah. but I subconsciously just don't want to deal with it. Of course. That happened. That happens, happens to, you? to everybody. Yeah, well, I shouldn't say that. It happens to me all the time. Right. And uh, this morning was a good example, actually. There's just like this one gnarly project, and it involves a lot of paperwork and legal stuff. And I was just like, Dah. and uh, what I find is I give myself just a little like Scooby snack first thing. So I have one or two things typically in the morning before I get into that most gnarly task that are fun. They're fun items. So, for instance, I'm trying to uh, learn a new type of drum, and so I just took two minutes to set up a lesson for that drumming session. And I was like, okay, Scooby Snack, now I need to go into the salt mines to deal with this project. And uh, yeah, I think when in doubt, uh, if you don't know what's important, the thing that you least want to do is probably, probably the, the one. Yeah. yeah, no, and so that's, um, that's something I guess I need to do. And so you mix on your little tiny list. Yep. Big list, but written in a little, right? Mm -hmm. You've got some Scooby snacks in there with, with the yeah. salt mine. First thing, yeah. yeah. First thing in the morning, just a handful of really fast, say, scheduling. I have, I have a, a trip that I want to take to South America that's going to be pretty extended, and I'm excited to block that out on the, on the calendar. Uh, so I did a little bit of orchestrating for that. Uh, and then I will either also, so the, my, my general morning routine, wake up, let's just say ideally that's somewhere between uh, 6.30 and 7.30, I'm terrible at, at waking up early, but for me, that's early. And then I will meditate first thing for 15 to 20 minutes, usually just repeating a sound or a word. And then brew tea, sit down, turn on music, which is usually a Pandora station. Like I'm listening to a lot of Brazilian, just kind of chill samba or bossa nova stuff right now, which puts me in a pretty good mood. Do the five-minute journal. Uh, then exercise if I have the time blocked out that morning, which is usually just a series of sort of mobility exercises, like overhead squat type movements. Yeah. Uh, then get into the creative stuff, like I mentioned, uh, up until lunch, which is usually going to be some type of writing, podcast related, whatever that might be, some type of creative synthesis. Uh, and then on I go. But the Scooby Snacks are laid out right up front. How, how are you eating? How healthy are you eating? I'm doing really well right now uh, I, because I had a very, very difficult 
year last year, I was taken out of commission for six to nine months with Lyme disease. Yeah, totally, yeah. And I, I was very dismissive of Lyme disease up to this point in my life. I thought it was mostly, and I think it, there's a lot of psychosomatic self-diagnosis of Lyme. Uh, everyone in my family had had Lyme. I grew up on Long Island. Everybody gets it and kind of takes a bunch of antibiotics and shakes it off. Some people don't. Uh, feel they ever get rid of it, but I was really just destroyed and my joints suffered a lot as a result. So this year, the number one priority was health. That's another reason why I don't usually schedule things till after lunch. Cause it's like, all right, I need to get some type of training or mobility work in every day. Uh, and, uh, so eating right now for me is, is along the lines of, you know, slow carb or paleo, very, very close to one or two of those. Very little processed. Oh, no processed, except for my one cheat day. Then I go berserk. I went to, you know, I had a wedding last week, and uh, I remember my wrestling coach when I was uh, you know, 15 and kind of headed towards nationals, and I was cutting a ton of weight, and one of the wrestlers had a birthday party, and I went, and I was like, no, no cake for me. And my coach said, you know, Tim, it's really bad luck if you don't have birthday cake on someone's <laughs> birthday. And I've carried that with me ever since. Like, if I go to a wedding, I'm like, I don't want bad luck, so I, like, I have to eat the cake. Convenient excuse to eat, you know, 17 pieces of cake, but... Uh, so yeah. I didn't know you were a wrestler. I knew judo was your sport, right? I did judo after wrestling. So I did wrestling. My mom, I was hyperactive, so my mom threw me into kitty wrestling to exhaust me uh, each day. It worked really well. And I was also really small. I was a runt up until about sixth grade, so I couldn't, I couldn't really play with the other kids. I'd get my ass kicked. And um, wrestling was a fantastic outlet. And then from 15 to 16, went to Japan as an exchange student and translated that to judo, which was just amazing. And it translated well. Oh, super well. Yeah. Although you tend to be a little... To uh, the wrestling, I think it's at least at the high school level, uh, tends to cultivate this incredible tension. And with judo, they'd be like, "Okay, we're gonna do randori, which is this like free sparring for the next hour." And you cannot be tense, or you're just toast. I remember I just like I couldn't even close my hands after the first time I tried to spar for an hour because I was death gripping the uniform, which is not. It's you, you learn really quickly not to do that. Uh, All right, well, let's take a break, and then uh, we'll tackle a bear or eat a steak or, I don't know, we'll do something and yeah, do some burpees. Spear a coyote. Spear a coyote. <laughs> we'll come back and find out um, some tips on being successful beyond taking notes. Sure. Sounds right. good. I hope you're not sitting still while you listen. If you are, you better get a burpee break in. We are proud to announce we have a new sponsor, actually our only sponsor, Audible.com, and they're offering our listeners a special deal at audible.com slash SpartanUp. They have 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products, including my book, Spartan Up. Don't forget, you can get a free audiobook and 30-day trial today by signing up at www.audible.com slash SpartanUp. I checked in with Tim Nye, Colonel Nye, I checked in with Sephra, I checked in with Johnny, and they all allowed this sponsor. Now get back to your burpees. So, so obviously it's being organized, like you said, being methodical in your routine in the morning, eating well, but, um, but lots of people do that and sure. aren't successful. So, so give us some tips. Uh, quick tips, number one, you know, protect the asset. You have to have an exercise practice. Uh, I think that if you were to choose just either, say, double-handed kettlebell swing, sumo deadlift, or overhead squat, and just, if you practice one of those a few times a week, you're pretty well covered. Uh, but really focusing on mobility. The second thing is you're the average of the person or the people you associate with most. And a good trick 
uh, that I figured out a while back, someone told me about, was volunteer for organizations. So what I did to build a network here in Silicon Valley was uh, volunteered for business organizations that brought in incredible speakers. So whether it was the Indus Entrepreneur or Silicon Valley Blah 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 Association, volunteer, do an incredible job, never be late, always be early, kind of marine style, and ask for additional responsibility because volunteers usually think they don't have to perform well because they're not getting paid. So be the opposite of that. And I got to the point within a few months where I knew no one, I was fresh out of college, and uh, then I got to produce an event. And so I got to reach out to all the speakers I wanted to develop personal relationships with. And it was uh, a really straightforward shortcut to developing a really great network. Uh, other tips would be... That's a big one, though. Let me, let me just interrupt that one because um, my whole life I've been building businesses and trying to recruit, in some ways, volunteers. Yeah. <laughs> because in the early days when you're building a business, you have no money to pay people. And I try to say to them, just stick it out. Like, take yeah. one extra step. Work a little harder. And that's really what you're saying. Yeah, just go. And it, it doesn't even have to be an extra mile, really. It's like, show up 10 minutes early. Yeah. And... Uh, just and, stand out. And just stand out. Yeah, and do, do a little bit extra. Uh, it, and don't, that was a smart move. Yeah, and don't only fix the problems that you're assigned. So if I saw a problem that was easy for me to fix, I'd say, oh, well, I know you told me just to, let's say, hand out the tickets and ask, you know, clean up empty glasses, but I also noticed this, so I asked them to bring an extra iced tea, and they're like, oh, it's just a tiny little thing, but it's extra. Sure. Uh, closely related to that, I would say uh, that... People ask me, let's say if you're looking for a job or you're looking to learn skill set that will translate to entrepreneurship, uh, people ask me, like, what's the next hot industry? And what I always say is, don't worry about that. Find any company that's, say, 10 to 30 people and growing really quickly. doesn't matter what the industry is, but if you can get a job working directly for the deal makers, whoever those people are, you know, the CEO, COO, director of business development, whatever, if you can observe master deal makers in a fast-growing company, take that job. Do you see? You should listen to that. <laughs> She's like, I just carry around a camera, I'm running around the world. You're with the deal maker. <laughs> exactly. Right? What you learn very quickly when you observe deal makers, very good deal makers, is that, or people who simply do it often, is that you're not looking for the answers to life. You're looking for the best questions. And if you have, if you have the wrong questions, it doesn't matter what answer you get. So. Uh, when, well, what I mean by that is when you observe a really good deal maker and you observe how they phrase questions, how they overcome objections, how they find compromises or win-win situations that are a lateral step you never would have thought of in a million years, uh, they do it by asking better questions. And you'll notice questions uh, that show up again and again and again. And you can take those and borrow those and put them in your toolkit and they'll serve you for life. You know? yeah. So it's like, I know it's impossible, but... If, if there were a way for us to make it work, what would it be? I mean, just those types of really simple questions. I learned that at a young age. I was selling swimming pools. Yeah. And I remember reading through a sales book, and it said, it's okay when someone says no, but you need to find out why there's a no. Is it yeah. if I change the color, right? With it, right? And, yeah. and that's a really valuable tool. Oh, definitely. It's like, I know it's a no. Right. I'm not going to pester you. But like, just out of curiosity, if this... What would you say? Because then you've you've boxed them in, Yeah, you can use it all the time. It's like I was at a wedding uh, just a a couple of days ago in Austin, and uh, everything was booked for, like, massages and PT and stuff. And I've I've been working on my shoulders, so it's kind of jacked up. And they're like, sorry, we're all totally booked. And I was like, I know you're totally booked, but if there's anything you could do, you know, I'm the best client you could ever imagine. Happy to promote you guys. Like, just take another look. Maybe there's been a cancellation. She's like, all right. And she's like, wow, all right. Christmas comes early. And you just, you never know until you ask. And uh, there's a fine line between being sort of creatively persistent and a huge pain in the ass and 
you have to find that sweet spot by experimenting. But uh, observing master deal makers, whether or not you want to be in sales or not, like you are going to have to persuade everybody people for the rest of your yeah, life. Yeah, everybody got to sell. Um, biggest challenges in building a business. I mean, I know what I'm, what I face. Um, uh, biggest challenges. I think there are different challenges at different phases, but uh, as far as I can tell, most of them come down to maintaining focus. And what I mean by that is, uh, it's it's easy to discard, say. 10 terrible ideas and go after the one good idea. But when you start to get a little bit of momentum, uh, you can drown yourself in good opportunities that aren't great opportunities. And if you scatter your focus, you try to do 17 different product lines, you can kill your business really easily, uh, particularly when you have a small team. So I think uh, asking yourself repeatedly, what is the one project, the one initiative, the one campaign that if successful, will render the rest of these things either unnecessary or much, much easier. What is that, what is that one step? And you know, I've called it this lead domino before, but what is the one thing on this list of seven different campaigns that will make all the other ones irrelevant or much easier? How do you, I mean, that's a tough um, answer, isn't it? Because uh, they all sound good. Yeah, I think uh, I, they, they can. And I think that what it comes down to oftentimes is uh, it returns back to measurement. So how are we defining success? Like if we want to grow the company, let's just say, what does that mean? In three months, six months, what are we measuring? Why are we measuring those things? And uh, you know, what is a sort of uh, a, a comfort goal? Meaning like, okay, we think we can easily hit this number. What is a stretch and what is like, oh, hallelujah, we, we threaded sure. the needle. And, and then come up with a, a really concrete number to tackle. And once you have that number, then you can look at those five and say, all right, which of those are going to serve us right now? And I'm, I'm dealing with that uh, increasingly so because I have all these different branches of content and activities and angel investing and so on. It's very easy for me to get scattered. It's never been easier. So I have to continually ask that type of question. What, what, what's your main focus now? If you had to boil it down to one... My main focus right now is building the podcast, building my podcast, Tim Ferriss Show, up to a point where it's consistently in the top 10 to 15 on iTunes so that I can establish a presence and name recognition in Hollywood and entertainment, which I can leverage then for the TV show and film projects that I'll be expanding into in the next three to nine months. And specifically what that means is targeted advertising um, for the podcast specifically towards people who are producers, agents, actors, directors in Hollywood and New York City. All of that can be quantified. Not unlike really what you did in the, in the volunteering uh, space early on, Very right? similar. Right. You want to you get yourself around people that are going to help you redefine your, your next push, basically. Definitely. And you have to show people that you're competent first. Right. It's not enough... It's not enough. I find it's, it's really a hard sell if you're cold emailing people who have never heard of you. Uh, and it, it, sometimes it can work, but it's hard. So I want, to ex I want to carpet bomb my target audience with credibility. And, and then uh, they'll take the phone call. Then they'll take the phone call. You'll be, have a seat at the table. So when's enough enough? You're done. You don't need to work anymore. No, I don't. This, this stuff isn't financial for me. I mean, if I wanted to do financial stuff, I'd be doing straight angel investing 100%, and I would be doing... You know, monetizing my audience in a number of different ways, uh, but I have enough. I mean, uh, money's nice. More is always better than than less, I suppose. Everything being equal, but I don't think everything is equal. Uh, once the finance becomes the sole goal, past a certain point in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think that there are costs, there are sacrifices, 
uh, oftentimes. So, so for me, uh, enough creatively, I don't think I'll ever have enough. Um, but financially, you know, I still drive the same broken down 2004 used Volkswagen Golf that I've had <laughs> since good. then. That's a good sign. So, uh, low burn lifestyle, as opposed to infinitely ever more money, I think gives you an incredible amount of leverage because you know that even in the worst case scenario, you're covered. You're covered. Yeah, you're awesome. That was you great. Too, man. Thanks. Yeah. Really good kick on that bear. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Hips. Hip mobility. <laughs> Tim was awesome. What are the odds I ran into him on that mountain? Yeah, sure. Right. Exactly. Actually, right now, the odds were 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no mathematician, but I know that much. A mathematician. <laughs> yeah. That word will be out there. Yeah. But um, I don't know. You buy into the whole four-hour thing? I do. You know, it's funny. His four-hour work week, and he'll be the first to say it's not actually four hours. He said, like, I, it, was a, it was a catchy line, and everything's come the four-hour, the four-hour, the four-hour. He's just saying you can do things a lot faster than you think you can. But his whole point was, if we actually learn how to do things better and smarter and not just take the, the way that it's always been done, we can do things incredibly more efficiently. So he postulated that you could do um, your, all your 40-hour week in four hours if you did it smart. Now, of course, as an employer, you'd hope that your employees would then still work 40 hours but do 160 hours worth of work, right? Yeah. But, um, but no, I, I think that he really has done a great job of use the term biohacking where he hacks things. He says, what's a faster way to do this? One of the really simple ones that I like from the four hour work week, um, and that made a huge difference to me when I read the four hour work week, he said, what do we do right now when we leave a voicemail? Hey, it's Joe calling, give me a call back. Hey Joe, it's Johnny, sorry I missed you. Uh, don't know what your convo, give me a call back. You got four or five times and you got nothing accomplished. His voicemail says, you've reached Tim Ferriss, uh, do not leave me a message unless you're going to tell me exactly when to call you back and exactly when. Here are the times that I call, tell me the best one. And like, there's just, there's no screen about it. It's so funny because I learned that wow. just ru running my own business. Yeah. I had lots of customers. Customers are calling. <coughs> Sorry, I'm choking on an owl bar. <coughs> hey, if I, if I, yeah, Dick, 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 <laughs> can get through, you can get through it too. That's right. Make sure you go to spartanuppodcast.com and watch Dick Costello's interview. You know what I'm talking about. Go. Who had the same issue. Keep going. You keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to turn to these guys because I'm a huge Tim Ferriss fan. I always have been. Uh, it was a big thrill for me actually to watch that interview and, and just to, to, to see you engaging and hearing him actually prove that he is as sharp as I think that he is. But, um, Sephra, you were actually really surprised at how young he was. Yeah. You know, my twin brother's a huge fan, and um, I knew about all of his work and stuff, but it wasn't until I saw the podcast that um, I realized he's kind of a co-patriot. And... Um, the thing that I think it's interesting about what he does is as a permaculturist, which is a design framework for designing um, ecosystems or businesses or whatever it is uh, by mimicking natural ecosystems. And some of the principles of that are where can I have the least change for the greatest effect? So when you're designing like a closed loop, you know, self-sufficient, efficient system, what he's doing is say, what part in my day can I change that will make this, um, you'll make my day as effective as possible. So the example from nature, right, would be like if you have huge erosion down in a river, you don't go to where the, to where the I think I said this in another podcast, where the, where the banks are, um, you know, already completely eroded away. You go way up to the top of the watershed where it's just a trickle, trickle, and you divert it away. So I think he's saying, well, how can I take away some of this waste? How can I be most effective and design it, you know, patterns? That's the biggest thing that, sorry, Colonel Nye, no, my, my throat is back, you, so I'm back. My, the the, the biggest, biggest thing for me in running my own business when I was a, a kid is um, how can I be most efficient? And so I think whether it's the four-hour body or the four-hour work week, he's talking about eliminating waste. When we started racing, we were doing these adventure races uh, 15, 20 years ago, or, or Ironmans, you know where you made up the most time? It wasn't by cycling faster or running faster or, or climbing a mountain faster. It was actually by when you came to a checkpoint. 
whether you're transitioning from swim to bike or you're unpacking your pack before you head out, people dilly-dally around. They'll waste 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20, 30 minutes, hours, go to sleep. That's where you can make up all your time. And we do that hundreds of times a day, each day. Yeah. Right? Yep. Eliminate that stuff. Yeah. That's the waste. And that was another thing that he talked about too, is, is how he structures his day. And that's a great point because right. if you wake up in the morning and you start replying to emails, you start dealing with all the fires are there, the end of the day comes, you've changed hats 27 times and never done anything intentional. And I love that he said he creates the first half of his day as creative time mm -hmm. because that's where the bread and butter is. He's going to create new content. He's going to write books. He's going to give interviews. And that's all during that first part of the day. The Scooby Snacks? Well, yeah. But he, no, the Scooby Snack was cool too. No, he said, he said quite often, definition. if he's looking at a whole bunch of work, he'll give himself one fun little project just to get the juices flowing. And that's the Scooby Snack he talks about to get things moving. But um, the idea that he'll set the first half of his day up for the actual proactive creative work instead of the reactive work. And then the afternoon he has to do all the, the chores and the reactive work. It's also, I found it interesting that a guy who wrote the four hour work week, which is about how to only work four hours a week. Clearly he's working you know, 12 hours a day, 12 hours a day, <laughs> yeah. but, but you look what he's accomplishing. And that's the thing is most people work 12 hours a day just to do the bare minimum to get by. He's doing 12 hours a day to set the world on fire. And I think that's pretty cool. I'll tell you one other thing. I, I see you itching to go, Colonel Knight. <laughs> a is, is, um, <laughs> is a lot of people that are reading the book are putting in their um, autoresponders in email. I'm sorry, I only respond to email yeah. Tuesdays between noon and one. What ends up happening as the recipient yeah. of that, I don't email them anymore. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? So I don't, I don't know if it's helpful or not. In some instances, yeah. it is. Well, the, the cool thing with, with Tim that I would say is he doesn't say everything is gospel. He'll say, try this. And if it works for you, awesome. If it doesn't, try it. Then do something else. And he basically says, don't take anything on gospel. Kind of like the Buddha said, don't listen to what I say just because I say it. Try everything yourself. So, yeah. Right. Colonel Nye, go, yeah, go, 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 go. I don't know what I wanted to say back, you know, an hour ago or so. Uh, but, it, <laughs> but you're right. I mean, he breaks up the day. And, yeah. and what I liked is exactly how you described it, how he breaks it up into separate parts. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit of long-range planning, short-range planning. Mm -hmm. and he, So he hits what we would say, those 50-meter targets versus the 500-meter targets. And so yep. he kind of works his way into that. But the part that you didn't cover yet is that he does the, does the post-game analysis, he called it, or what yeah, we yeah. would call the after-action review. And he thinks that that's very important. Huge. That, that after every event is over, you go back and you do an analysis of it, and you focus on how to get better. Yeah. You don't really, you know, kind of typically you would write the three things I did well and the three things I did bad, but you don't really need to know the three things you did well because mm -hmm. you, you, you kind of do those anyway. Mm -hmm. So you focus on how do I get better and better and better at these things. So, so he's got those, and then the other part is that he was a, he journals. Yeah, yeah that's uh, cool. You know, and that's another kind of thing you see a lot of successful people doing, and he just kind of writes down, what do you say, at night, the, the, said, the things he, go ahead. Well, um, well, he said, yeah, journaling's indispensable, and when you go through back all your stuff, your journals are the most sacred things, but, yeah. so he journals in the morning, sets his intention, and then he revisits it, um, what, halfway through the day, and then yeah. back again at night, he does the, the review of it and sets up the next day. And I think, uh, and that goes back also, uh, what would you say before that? Um, I was thinking about permaculture design. So you do site analysis. I, I didn't bring it up. No, no, no. no, no but <laughs> exactly right since, since you brought up permaculture design. <laughs> no, you do Did a site you? analysis. You see you're working with where's the wind, where's the sun, what's going on. Yeah. Then you sit on the land, then you implement it, and then you have the design, but then you revisit it. And you say, all right, now what do we do? Yeah. And, and, and that's the way any design loop should go. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no. To always you check in with what's working and what's not. Yeah. Improve. yeah. I mean, like every Spartan race must be a little better, a little different, a little. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say if you, if you want an analogy um, the way you like to with your permaculture 
uh, stuff and Spartan race. It would be like, visualize like Siberia with a windstorm, a volcano. (laughs) That's a Spartan race. (laughs) Perfect. That's it. Siberia. Perfect. Cool. Well, Colonel, I know that you brought up that we should wrap up. Yeah. Oh, you're sure he didn't? Uh, <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> it's okay. I'll journal about it later. Uh, so, yeah, that, it was a phenomenal interview with, uh, with Tim Ferriss. Thanks for doing that one, Joe. No problem. Good for you, too. Thank you for listening to another epic story of success. For show notes, video, and audio of this episode, visit SpartanUpPodcast.com backslash 056. Follow us on Twitter at SpartanUpPod. The Spartan Up Podcast is brought to you by Spartan. To find a race near you, visit Spartan.com.